some very practical things uh, about serving the Lord. Uh, we do believe in the Spirit. We believe that the Spirit of God works and manifests and ministers in our lives, but at the same time, uh, there has to be some things that, that we do. And uh, so we're going to, the focus of the lesson is uh, the disciplines of a disciple. And so I'm going to spend some time uh, here today talking about some of those disciplines. But look in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 6, and let's look at verse 4. Uh, the Bible says there that thine alms may be in secret, and that and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And then look down to verse uh, 6. The Bible says there, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your, trans, uh, your, your trespasses. And then, uh, so we mentioned giving. Um, in verse, maybe you should have picked up in verse 3 there, but when thou doest alms, so when you give, and then in verse 6, when you pray, and then look at verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which, is, which seeth in secret shall reward uh, thee openly. And so there is that matter uh, that the Lord does talk to us, that there is a concerted effort as far as discipline goes uh, that these are some of what we call the spiritual uh, disciplines that we have in our lives. Giving is a discipline. Uh, prayer is a discipline. Fasting uh, is a discipline as well. And uh, yet sometimes we live in a, a very undisciplined age. And uh, so I'm just going to kind of mention some things here this morning uh, that I believe will be very helpful uh, for you in uh, that matter. First of all, there's got to be a part about where that you do develop uh, some discipline that's in your life. And uh, so let's start and let's look at uh, these uh, things. Start 
Uh, number one, how to develop self-discipline in your life. And I have to say I've got this written in the front flap of my Bible, so I read through it, uh, I would say, uh, probably more so occasionally, uh, but I do have it in the front of my Bible so I can kind of read through it and look at it periodically to kind of help me with that. So how to develop some self-discipline uh, in your life. Number one, start small. Okay, and you say, well, how do you start small? Well, start with your room. And uh, okay, here goes. You heard your mother say, make up your bed in the morning before you leave. Uh, there is something to that. And, and uh, some people say, well, why make up a bed? I'm going to come jump right back in it here in several hours. And uh, that is a valid argument as well. However, uh, in the morning time, when you do wake up and there is that part that you start this path down uh, the road toward the matter of discipline, there's something that takes place there. And uh, you, you can really... Uh, extend uh, because I, you've heard that part that, that uh, cleanliness is next to godliness uh, well I think probably neatness could be in that same category that whenever you have a, a life and most of us uh, we have a life that is very cluttered and uh, sometimes when we look at cluttered houses you can look and say we probably that's a, probably a mirror of a cluttered soul and when you walk into a house that is free of clutter and free of, uh, I'm preaching right now, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek. Some of y'all are looking at me kind of strange. But anyway, uh, there is that matter that, that we, we do develop discipline uh, in those areas in our lives. Here, here's another one, and that's to be on time. Um, I know that, again, especially uh, people that, that are always, we're in, always in a hurry. I don't know of anybody that's not in a hurry. And uh, I do know people that they think if they're not at an event 30 minutes early, then they're late. But there is something about being on time and being there uh, before it ever gets kicked off and, and gets started. So again, uh, another thing, number three, uh, is to develop self-discipline in your life is do the hardest job first. And uh, that sometimes is the challenge that we don't like to jump on. We like to start with the easy stuff and then maybe leave the hard stuff until after uh, the afternoon, I can remember whenever I was still working at the hospital uh, that usually the physicians that we worked with would review the cases of the patients that we were doing the next day. And uh, we had, of course, access to their, their at that time, there were films. It was before they went digital. And then after they went digital, then we were able to look at it on the screen. But what we would do was pick out the case that was the most difficult or hardest case of the day, and that was the one that we started out with. Uh, to start with that morning so you get the hard part knocked out and then you hopefully just kind of coast on through uh, the rest of the day. Number four, organize your life. And that again is a very big thing to do uh, is to organize your life so that it's mapped out in a way where that you uh, 
Uh, you've got a plan and you're working through that. People don't just fall accidentally into greatness. Uh, there's a reason that they are good at what they do and uh, some of that has to do with the fact that they're organized uh, in that. If you don't plan the use of your time, uh, then what happens is, is you spend a lot of your time reacting to things. And so it's better to be proactive than it is to be reactive because if you're always reacting to things, uh, then that, that, you may have heard this statement before, the tyranny of the urgent. You ever heard that before? Is that urgency all of a sudden gets uh, into your, your life and, 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 and urgency can be a tyrant. Uh, and you're always running, always going, always doing. And uh, I uh, remember back years ago, Beverly Cleary wrote some books and in those books she talked about Ribsy and, and uh, that was a dog and Uncle Ulysses and and um, he had a nephew, I think his name was Homer, and uh, Uncle Ulysses was always trying to work on labor-saving devices. And these labor-saving devices were supposed to be built so that it would save time. But what Uncle Ulysses did, he spent so much time worrying with the labor-saving devices that he used a lot of labor working on the devices. And yet we have a day now where that we have such things that are instantaneous I can remember the day before we had drive-throughs and you had to go into the restaurant. You couldn't drive to the window and what that has done is that's kind of escalated the pace of our lives and if we're not careful, that can move over into uh, our spiritual lives as well. And so organize uh, your life. Use a calendar. Uh, make a list of things that you need to work through and you need to accomplish. And I'll just say this, and I'll say that this kindly. If you don't control your time, everybody else around you will control your time. And so you have to really, it's not that you're being rude, it's not that you're being inaccessible, it's just the fact that if you don't control your time, then everybody else will uh, control your time as well. Uh, to develop self-discipline is accept correction. Uh, be willing to listen to somebody that is trying to help point you in a direction that's going to help you to become more effective. And I have to say that uh, over the years that I have sought out people and looked for them that uh, were in areas where I felt like I wanted to grow, and I wanted to spend time with that person, and so I went to that person, and sometimes it was a bloodbath because when I walked away, I was like, oh, my Lord, I've just had my head handed to me in my hands. Now, they didn't do it in a, you know, they were just telling me these are some things that, that I do in my life, and it's helped me to get to this particular place, and so then you start modifying and changing uh, some things that takes place in your life. So it's important for us if we're going to be disciplined uh, to accept correction. Number six is you have to practice self-denial. Uh, that means that you have to say no to your feelings. Uh, that means that when you drive by, and this is an old illustration, but when you drive by checkers and they're advertising the milkshakes, uh, you, have to, you have to leave them alone. 
I can remember there were times in my life when I was much younger uh, that McDonald's would run 39-cent hamburgers and 49-cent cheeseburgers. And I can remember when I was a bag boy at the Piggly Wiggly making $3.35 an hour that I would drive, that I would go, you had to get out of your car and go inside, and I would go in there and I would get five of them. And I would eat five hamburgers. Of course, I was in my teens and early 20s, and, and then I got into my 30s and started doing some of that. So there's times where you just have to say no. No milkshakes, no cheeseburgers. No, I'm not going to go spend. I'm not, I don't need to buy another book. I don't need to so on. So you get uh, what's taking place. You have to learn to say no to your feelings. And uh, you have to know what to be, to be right even if you don't feel like doing uh, what is the right thing to do. I sometimes say, uh, tell my kids this, put your game face on. That means that it's, it's game time and uh, I don't care that you're hurting. We got a game and I'm not saying that this is a game or your job is a game, but I'm just saying there's times where you've got to get you got to put your game face on. You've got to say, you just got to, and I used this illustration this past week in North Dakota. I remember Brother Griffin, and it was hilarious when he would do it. He'd get himself by the back of the, back of the uh, <laughs> jacket, and uh, he'd say, Griffin, you, you, better, you better go pray. But I don't feel like, I don't care, Griffin. You get in there and you pray whether you feel like it or not. You get, and there are times where you have to take yourself by the collar. And you just have to say, you're going to do this whether you feel like it or not. What are you doing? You're practicing self-denial. Sometimes it would be easier uh, to sleep late than to get up and to go after it. And uh, I think that all of us uh, realize that. Sometimes it's even beneficial to deny yourself things that are acceptable. Because cultivating discipline in the physical realm will help you in the spiritual realm as well. Now, you may have heard this said before. If you want something done, go ask a busy person to do it. Y'all ever heard that before? If you want something done, get somebody that's already busy and go say, hey, can you do this particular matter? Because what uh, is that they see that because they're involved and they're busy, that it's not like you're piling on and adding something else to their lives, but busy people or people that generally speaking are going to be able to get something done and get it accomplished. Number seven is welcome responsibility. And uh, that's the last one. Why, why should we uh, develop responsibility? Because what responsibility does is it creates boundaries in your lives. It's good to have to get up every morning and be at a job at uh, 6 o'clock, at 7 o'clock, at 8 o'clock, whatever time uh, that it is because what that responsibility does is it develops a sense of discipline uh, that's in your uh, life. And, and there's a lot of people. In fact, there are millions of people uh, that they go through their life and they're waiting for the right time and the right place. Well, when I get to this particular age, or when I get this particular thing done, then 
I'm going to do whatever you fill in the blank. You, you understand um, what I mean by that. And yet, if we're going to be disciples, uh, procrastination is a horrific foe that you have to cut the head off of procrastination. You have to. Well, I'm going to wait until I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it later on in uh, the week. Start now. Start today. Uh, when you start looking at, at, at the Bible, there, there were many people in the Bible uh, that it was not so much that they did what was wrong, it was simply that they did not do anything. And when you look at the parable of the, good, of the Good Samaritan, the Bible tells us that there was a priest and there was also a Levite that walked by and they looked at the need that was there and yet the Good Samaritan comes along and he sees something that needs to be done and so he did it. And again, the challenge is, is it's not so much uh, doing what's wrong, but it's simply not doing anything at all. The five wise and the five foolish. What was the challenge for the foolish? It's not that they necessarily didn't do what was wrong. It's just that they didn't do what was right. They, they had the opportunity to fill up their vessels, and yet because of that, they did not do that, then they fell into that particular trap. And then you look at the, at the one talent man, that, that, the, that you know, he got that one talent and the other guy got two and the other guy got five and those that got two and got five, they replicated those things that were in their life. What did the guy that had one talent? He said, well, just, you know, I don't have much to offer so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take my talent and I'm gonna wrap it up and I'm gonna put it away and then by putting it away, then I'll preserve it and save it. And yet the man that gave him that talent, he was not interested in the fact that he, he wanted him to invest it. And I believe that, that even if he would have invested and even lost that talent, I, I believe that, that, the, that the master would have been pleased with that particular matter that when he lost it, that there was still some effort that went into the fact that says that I am going uh, to invest it. And then, of course, the, the, the proverb speaks about that sluggard or that lazy man uh, that's always saying, well, there's a lion in the streets. You remember that part? There's a lion. There, there's not a, he said he looked out and there's, I, I can't go get involved. There's a lion that's in the street. He's gonna get me. Uh, there's not a lion in the street. The lion is either in the zoo or the lion is either in the jungle and then the part that that man that was lazy that he had to make a determination, here's what I'm gonna do to get involved and I've got to make a productive life and there aren't any lions that uh, are in the street. Esther, the Bible tells us, uh, she said that she had come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Esther had to act today. David, whenever he was facing Goliath, you, you can't kill Goliath next week or next month. You've got to kill Goliath today. And that's where that whenever you start looking at the matter, uh, and this is not just for spiritual matters, this is for the matters 
uh, at your at your job. And I, I again, and I, I I told some brother Patterson stories this week at, at North Dakota, and <laughs> I told I quoted you, brother Patterson. I said I told him if they if a guy was lazy before he got the Holy Ghost, it didn't matter how much Holy Ghost he got, he probably was still gonna be lazy after he got the Holy Ghost. And uh, y'all ever heard Brother Patterson say that? Most of you have. Well, Brother Patterson, you resurrect that quote again. But I, that there is some truth to that. If you were lazy before you got the Holy Ghost, you're probably gonna be lazy after you get the Holy Ghost. And and so it is that that Esther had to make that decision. I've got to do this thing today. David had to kill his his giants. Uh, he had to take care of Goliath in that part. And so discipline really uh, means that you're also gonna have to have some persistence in your life. There will be hindrances. There will be challenges. Uh, there will be teachers that you will have that you will think they're out to fail me. But know this, that you're only gonna be in their class for one semester and do the best you can do with that teacher at that particular time and know this, that there are situations that you face in life and it's only gonna last for a season and once you get past that season, then that teacher is out of your life and what you have to realize is that there's some benefits that sometimes comes from those teachers that we think is out to get us. And I, I, I remember whenever I was in nursing school, our, the, uh, at the time they had one of the best uh, passing rates in the state for state boards and it was almost like their job was they want to try to weed out every person they can because they did not want people to get to the state boards and take boards and then fail it because it was a reflection on the school and would make them look bad and there are times where that you get into situations and you think oh my lord uh, this situation is trying is trying to fail me, but yet it's the rigor of going through that particular trial or that particular challenge of life that what does it do? It adds strength to you whenever you get on the other side of it. And so let's look at some of these things here. Uh, if you still have your Bibles open, I want you to look there into Matthew chapter 6. And uh, why don't we start there in verse 1, and uh, I'll kind of move quickly through this matter because when people start hearing about giving, they get nervous and, and so forth. But I do, wanna, I do think it's important that, that we have a discipline of giving. The Bible says there, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. And therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their rewards. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now, obviously, again, this is talking about the matter of money. And I believe that we ought to pay our tithes. I, I just believe that. 
And there's a, a biblical principle that you can find woven through scriptures. I realize we're in a day now where uh, that there are people that are saying, uh, no, you don't have to give your times, that, uh, your tithes, that's Old Testament law. Well, uh, when you look at the first example of tithing in the Bible, that's when you look to uh, Abraham. And Abraham uh, paid his tithes before the law was given. And so the principle or the law of first mention applies through that, so it's woven all the way through the scriptures that there is a matter that we ought to give our tithes and that we ought to give our offerings and we, we ought to support uh, that matter. And, uh, and yet again, uh, some people give more of a tip in a restaurant than they do to God. Now obviously our reasonable service I believe is 10% and, uh, and sometimes we pay our uh, servers 18, 20, uh, sometimes even 25%. God wants your 10%. However, there are some <clears throat> that they're, 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 just, they're just giving a small 2 to 3% tip to God. And that's going to weigh out. And when you wonder sometimes why there's not blessing that's taking place in your life. And I'm not talking about just about financial areas. I'm talking about the overarching area of blessing. If you wonder why in the world that the devourer has gotten a hold of my life, then I believe there's a direct correlation that comes about whenever you pay or you withhold uh, your tithes. And so again, I remember years ago, that there was a friend of mine that pastored in Texas and uh, he had a family that moved in from a very large church at the time uh, in Texas and it was kind of like one of the, the big churches and this friend of mine that was a pastor, he was very nervous about this family moving out of this huge church and then moving down to the church where he pastored because it was a relatively small church at the time. But the pastor of that church, the large church called uh, this friend of mine, and uh, he said, I just want to let you know about the family that's moving to uh, your church. And he said, I want to just tell you this. He said, they have always had problems paying their tithes. He said, they've never been faithful in their tithing. And so he said, so I want you to know that when, you, when they get there, they're probably not going to be faithful in their tithing in your place either, in, in the church you're pastoring either. And then... This, this friend of mine told me, he said that the, the pastor, the larger church told him, and I have never forgotten this, and I heard this probably 25 years ago. He said, know this. He said that whenever you get uh, your end of the year statement, he said, I would just tell you this, that is your spiritual resume. And I never forgot that is that when you look, okay, here is what, uh, here's, here's what I've given. This is what I have uh, given to the Lord's work. Now, here's the part. Sometimes people think, oh, you're giving to Brother Patterson, you're giving to Brother Harrelson, you're giving, and that's not the case. Uh, we make the same amount no matter what, and, uh, and we could probably be doing better and I'm just in other areas if we were in other places of business because we both feel like 
that in the process that there's some sacrifice that is required and I think that this building and what's being accomplished here uh, on this property, even in the student building, I, I believe is a direct reflection of some of the sacrifice uh, that Brother Patterson has gone through and by trickle-down effect, I'm just kind of following along in that same uh, direction to go. But, but here's what we have to understand about the matter of giving is that you are giving to God. And that's where that you start saying, okay, I'm gonna not only, and I don't believe that tithing uh, is just in that matter of our money. I believe that it also has to do with the way we spend our time uh, with, with other various areas in our lives that whenever we give, it's not just money, but it's praying. It, it's the desire that we give. It's what we wanna see God do uh, here in this local church here uh, in, in Dothan, Alabama, that we just believe that God is using all of us. And so there needs to be that part uh, that we do give to that matter. And then I'll say one other thing uh, before I pass on. Sometimes people look at the amount of money that's given. And uh, they say, well, you know, I don't have very much, so I'm not gonna give uh, you know, whatever. But I'm just gonna say 10% is 10%. And if you can't pay your tithes when you're making minimum wage, you probably won't pay your tithes if you're making six figures. Because 10% of minimum wage and 10% of six figures, God's looking at 10%. He's not looking at the amount and there are times where that there are people that try to swing their influence. Well, I give such and so amount of money. And I, I know that uh, over the course of the years that there were people that sort of uh, somewhat threatened Brother Patterson. And uh, Brother Patterson just kind of just kept plodding along. And now 50, almost 56 uh, years later, we're still moving along in the direction that God wants us to go. And if the Lord tarries, I pray that another 56 years passes by and that the church continues on in that same pattern and in that same way. And again, I need to move on, but I'm stuck on the money deal. I would just say this as well. Most of the time, what your parents teach you about giving, it has a trickle-down effect with the children. And now we're in a church where that we're starting to see now second and third generation. And generally speaking, if those parents taught those children, then those grandchildren are following along in that same pattern. So I'll move on now and we'll uh, get to the area of, um, of prayer. Everybody somewhat okay? Just need the ushers to go around and bump the air conditioner down to 65 so it'll kind of cool it down. You can't outgive the Lord. You cannot. If you give to the Lord, the Lord is going to give back to you. I promise you that. So let's look at this matter of about being disciplined uh, in prayer. Uh, the Bible is a book of prayer. There are 667 prayers that you find in the Word of God. There are 454 recorded answers to those 667 prayers that are in the scriptures. 
So when you look at the word of God, here's what we have to realize, that to pray effectively, you remember what the disciples asked the Lord? Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't ask the Lord, teach us how to do miracles, teach us how to build churches, teach us how to have revival, none of that. They watched the Lord, and it was obvious that when they looked at the Lord's life, that we find the Lord giving himself to early morning prayer. We look at the Lord giving himself to all nights in prayer. We, we look at the Lord. There were times where that the Lord prayed uh, whenever he was under great pressure. Obviously, the biggest one of that was the prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. I think probably all of us can relate uh, to that matter where that we pray uh, when there are times that we're praying under pressure and that's not so much bad all the time. That, that if we're going to pray effectively, then what we have to do is we have to ask the Lord uh, to help us to pray. And so... Uh, let's do a little bit of, of work. Look there in verse number five. If you mark in your Bible, uh, put a box around when thou prayest. Uh, look at verse six. Uh, if you mark in your Bible, put a box around when thou prayest. Look at verse seven. When ye pray. And then look in verse nine. Therefore pray ye. And so you look at that part and realize that there is a matter that we're giving ourselves to that pattern of prayer. And yet a lot of times, how do we learn how to pray? Is we learn how to pray by listening to other people pray. And I want to maybe point out a few things here uh, this morning that may help you to, to give yourself to that matter of prayer. And again, you're not marking time. One of the hardest things or one of the worst things in my thoughts uh, to do is to kneel down and say, okay, I'm going to pray for an hour. And uh, because what happens is you become a slave to the clock. You start looking at prayer, praying by the clock. And I remember whenever uh, I left the hospital and was going, working, being here full time, and that was in 2006. It's amazing. It's, it's 18 years ago. And uh, I remember I'm going to be this awesome prayer warrior. And so that was when our kids were still small and I was dropping them off at the school. So I'd get to the church a few minutes after 8 or so, sometimes a few minutes till 8. And I remember getting down and kneeling down and uh, up there in that little broom closet room that I was in and uh, started praying and started praying and and man, I was praying, Well, I was getting with it. And five minutes and 39 seconds later, I looked up and I thought, oh my Lord, I still got 54 minutes left. What am I gonna say in the next 54 minutes? And then the next day I got in and I started and I did a little better, seven minutes and something and got 52 minutes and so-and-so left. Uh, and so here's what you, I wanna do to kind of help you, prayers relationship. And there's times where that when you pray, you don't need to be in a hurry. Take your time when you're praying. It's, it's, like, it's like, okay, being eating in a nice restaurant, going to Papa Do's, it's an experience. 
It's not just food. It's an experience. When you go eat, when you go to McDonald's, it's hurry up and get it in, choke it down, and take off and go. When you get to Papa Do's, it's like, no, we're going to be here for an hour and a half. We're, you know, all this, okay, it's an, it's, a, it's an experience. I believe that there's a difference between microwave prayers and crock pot prayers. So let me kind of help you with some of this matter of praying. When you get on your knees or ever how you pray, sitting, leaning over, walking, praying, whatever, is that you ought to praise God for what he's done in your life. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know that I have anything to praise God about. Well, I could take you this morning to Flowers Hospital and we could walk up and down the hallways of the hospital. There are people that are in the hospital whose bodies literally are deteriorating. And they are in great dire straits of physical need. So you could praise God that you have the physical ability to walk in here and to sing and to pray and to worship God. Psalm 104, we're to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Worship is recognizing what God's truth in. Psalm 50 and 23, whoever offers praise glorifies God. So whenever we pray, if it's worship-based, so that what you're doing, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, exalted, lifted up, be your name. How many times has the name of Jesus intervened into your life so that you thought that's the direct influence of what God is doing here in my life? Number two, uh, confess your own faults and sins. I know most of us are such perfect individuals that we really could probably skip that. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 just wants us to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, confession is made towards salvation. Psalm 32 and 5, confess our transgressions. And so whenever you're in a place where that you pray, and I will say this, the more you read the word of God, the more that you realize how valuable that salvation is and how much we don't deserve to be saved. And you read the scriptures and you're like, oh my Lord, outside of your salvation, and outside of what you did on the cross for me, then, then I have no hope whatsoever. Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So there is a matter that we confess uh, our sins. Number three is uh, that, that we ought to petition, uh, petition God for things that we have need of. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 4, in every prayer making request. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, let your request be made known unto God. Job chapter 8 and verse 6, he will make your way prosperous. So whenever we kneel and pray, 
And I, I, I can tell you there are times in my life where I have prayed, Lord, please help me pass this test. That was back a long time ago. I prayed for, Lord, please help me to pass this math test. Lord, please help me. And then what happens is, is you're praying those particular things when you get into places later on in your life, some of the more absolutely monumental things that you come up to that they look like walls. You know, Lord, how in the world are we going to get beyond this particular situation? It's because that the Lord answered some prayers in your past, that there's some confidence that you have now that you say, you know what? If God took care of this need that I had at this particular point, then God can take care of this particular need that I have uh, in this situation. Number four is to give yourself to intercession for others. And I would just tell you intercessory prayer is burdened prayer. There are tears that are involved in that. There is great angst that is involved in that. Why is that? It's because there's a yearning on the inside of you that's saying, God, please, you've got to save this particular person. They're, they're not even aware of the state that they're in. Why not? It's because the God of this world has blinded their minds. Paul speaks to that to the church there uh, at Corinth. And so when you start interceding for others, uh, and I will say if it's a family member because you love them uh, in such a way, there's gonna be a part of you that just, it's almost like you're being torn apart because you're like, please, Lord, you've got to intervene and work in this situation. Now, because of the work of the Spirit, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 27, the, the Spirit helps us to intercede. How does that work? Is that there are times that there are groanings that they cannot be uttered. And it's in those moments that you just begin to speak in tongues and you begin to speak as the Spirit gives utterance. Please, Lord, you've got to send revival. You've got to send spiritual awakening. You, you've got to be involved in this matter. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, intercession was made for all saints. And, and praying for others, praying for the needs that they have in their lives. So pray uh, the scriptures. Number six, meditate during the times of prayer. Joshua chapter one and verse eight, meditate on the law day and night. And then whatever time's left over, you can do whatever you wanna do. Uh, Psalm one, uh, you will be like a tree that's planted by the waters. Uh, number nine, pray the word of God back to the Lord. The Lord has made promises and uh, we sometimes can remind him of those promises that, uh, that he has, has, has supplied to us. Matthew chapter six and verse eight, be, ye, be not ye therefore likened to them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask. And so because the Lord knows those needs, then pray that need back to the Lord in that 
in that manner and in that way. And then number 10, listening to what God has to say. Prayer is not just one-way conversation. And there are times that after you pray that you ought to just sit there. You ought to just be there and say, Lord, whatever it is that you're impressing on my mind. We say, well, how do I know what thoughts or et cetera, so forth. How do I know this is the spirit of God? Well, the devil's not gonna give you certain thoughts that's gonna move you forward in the kingdom of God. So those things, after you have spent that time in prayer, what is the Lord gonna do? He's gonna start talking to you about areas of your life, areas of the church, areas of your secular job. And so those are some matters. I believe that those are some of the disciplines of disciples. And then the last thing that I will spend uh, just the next few minutes with is a matter of fasting. And uh, I believe that we ought to fast. I really do. I believe that, that we should give ourselves uh, to this matter of fasting. I remember years ago, uh, Brother Keating, when I was in Bible college, went on a 40-day fast. And I mean literally, it was my junior year. I don't know what the crisis or challenge was that he was facing, but he went on a 40-day fast. I uh, had another friend of mine. Uh, he's been on several 40-day fasts, and here's what happens during those periods of time. They drop weight, uh, 20, 25, 30 pounds. It's dropping off. Now, I'm not saying go do a 40-day fast, okay? But what I do believe is I believe that and Brother Keating kind of brought this out. The pattern of fasting is, is once a week, fast one day. Once a quarter, fast three days. Uh, once a year, fast seven days. And I think that perhaps even here, what we're doing uh, here in our church, that you ought to take advantage of our prayer revivals. Uh, on that time that we're, we're praying during those prayer revivals, that there are times where that in that three-day period that you can fast uh, during that time and you you make it it's your fast you do what you want to do with that if you feel like you want to skip two meals a day and eat supper I'm just saying that fasting can be beneficial for us during uh, those periods of time fasting has a way of destroying feel good religion it really does because what does fasting do it moves us into an area of self denial and I will say that during times of fasting that the spiritual awareness and perception that you have for whatever reason is absolute. There's a clarity about it. You, you go into that area of fasting and then here's what happens. The Lord starts showing you things during that and you're like, oh my Lord, it was right under my nose. And now you may have heard me pray, Lord, turn the light on. Help me to see. And trust me, when I go off to places, I want the Lord to turn the light on to help me to be able to see. Now, um, why should we fast? Well, uh, because believers can be in bondage to demonic powers and need strength to stand against sin. I have been very troubled in the last six months, year. I ran across this probably maybe two years ago. In Acts chapter 5, that story about Ananias and Sapphira, it bothers me. 
And here's why it bothers me is because Ananias and Sapphira were not fringe members of the church in Jerusalem. They, they, they were in the church. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, they sold a parcel of property and they were going to give money to the church. If they were on the fringe, they would have sold the property and they're not going to give. And yet that statement, it bothers me that Peter looked at Ananias. He said, Ananias, he said, why has Satan filled your heart? Ananias was a saint. Fasting helps us break off those oppressive demonic spirits. We are in high-level spiritual warfare right now. And I think some of it is, is because we're getting toward the end. And because we're getting toward the end, the spiritual forces that are trying to come against the church is that there are people that they allow themselves, and I've got a whole bunch of Bible studies that I'm digging around with, and, and uh, I'm gonna just plow on through them at some point, but I believe that we can allow ourselves to fall in places where that we are heavily oppressed by demonic spirits. And I believe that you can open up gateways in your life to allow yourself to be influenced that by that fasting helps us to live powerful lives so that we live above sin. Now, I was totally out in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota. No cell service. I didn't know what was going on, which is not all bad. And I, when I called Teresa, I had to go out and stand up on the hillside and and talk to her because I'd only get one bar and she kept talking to me and I'd break off and lose her, try to call back, call failed, call canceled. But anyways, I had no idea until Friday I, I get back to Bismarck to get ready to leave out very early Saturday morning and I look on Fox News on my phone and this serial killer has been arrested. And this guy's an, I don't know if he's guilty or not, but they've got some pretty compelling evidence against him. I'm like, how in the world could this guy live this double life seemingly flying under the radar? Be careful that you don't do that in a spiritual matter. It's your one thing on Sunday and your different Monday through Saturday. Fasting helps us to overcome those oppressive spirits. We ought to also fast because there are believers that are in very complex situations in their lives. Let's stand. We ought to fast because the church is in need of revival and because we need the force of evangelism to move in and move into our lives. We should fast because the world in general and the church, that they need character and integrity in our daily walk. And then we ought to fast. This is a big one because we have the abundance of food in American society. You realize that there are people that are dying today because they're starving to death. And there are people that are, that are suffering from malnutrition. And sometimes when you fast, what does it do? 
it helps you to understand the plight that others may have fallen into. And so these matters of discipline that I've talked to you about here this morning, about the disciplines of being a disciple. Yes, we need the Spirit to work. Yes, we need to feel the power of the Holy Ghost to intervene in our lives. At the same time, there ought to be a plan in your life that you say, okay, I'm going to plan my giving, I'm going to plan my fasting, and I'm going to plan my praying. Because what that does is helps us to be effective saints and children of God. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and thank Him for His Word. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Jesus, Lord, that You're able, God, to help us, Lord, today. I, I believe, God, that every person here that, Lord, that there wants to be, that, that we want to be disciples. Lord, that we want to be some way where that you're able to work and to use us in our lives. Help us, Jesus, to be able, Lord, to pursue and to move after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.